You're listening to What Does the Word Say, a series of podcasts on biblical theology produced by Grace and Glory Media. My name is Mark Roby, and I'm your host for this series. Our teacher is Dr. Richard Spencer. We're resuming our study of theology today by continuing to examine soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. We're currently discussing the doctrine of sanctification and, more particularly, the means of grace. We've been examining the topic of prayer for some time, and last week we looked at the fact that prayer is a significant part of our fellowship with God. Dr. Spencer, how would you like to proceed today? I want to begin by pointing out that our lives and prayers should be infused with thanksgiving. Well, we certainly do have a lot to be thankful for. God has taken away eternal hell and given us eternal heaven in his place. In fact, he has quite literally given us everything that is good. He gave us life. He gave us every opportunity and ability that we have. He is responsible for every good thing that we enjoy in this life. And as we saw last week, he has even restored our fellowship with him. It is sin that causes all of our troubles, our own sin and the sin of others. But everything good comes from God. And he even minimizes the pain we experience as a result of sin. He only has us experience that pain which is necessary to purify us and perfect us. As the hymn says, a father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. Yeah, that's a great truth, which is one way of expressing what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or we can look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, where we're told that, quote, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness, unquote. We know that whatever suffering we go through in this life is used by God for our good. We are his children, not his enemies. Paul even wrote in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, that, quote, We also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. That is something that the world simply does not understand. A true Christian recognizes that God is sovereign, even over the very worst things that can happen to us in life. The death of a child, or a spouse, a fatal disease, a terrible accident, It doesn't matter what it is. It did not happen outside of God's sovereign control. There are no real accidents in the true sense of the word. There certainly are things that happen that we don't intend to have happen, and in that sense they can be called accidents. But nothing is outside of the control of God. We read in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, that Jesus told his disciples that they don't need to fear the world. He said, quote, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. That is a wonderful promise, and it's one of the many reasons we have for being filled with thanksgiving. Therefore, we must pray with thanksgiving. If we aren't thankful, then we aren't Christians. We haven't come to know how sinful we are and what our sins justly deserve. We have not yet experienced the joy of having the weight of our sin removed. 
Yeah, I can't imagine someone being truly born again and not being filled with thanksgiving for all that God has done for them. And Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, quote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, unquote. We have so much to be thankful for that it must be a continual part of virtually every prayer. It may not always be spoken, especially in short prayers, but it should be part of our attitude at all times. That makes me think of Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, where the Apostle Paul wrote, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, Paul wrote, quote, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, unquote. We could cite many examples in the Bible of people giving thanks in many places where we're told to give thanks, But I think that once you realize it, it is obvious that anyone who has an understanding of what God has done for us in giving us life and then giving us new life in Christ simply must be filled with overflowing gratitude to God. We briefly mentioned this point before, but it deserves to be emphasized. In session 194, we noted that the third benefit John Calvin says we derive from prayer is, quote, that we may be prepared to receive all God's benefits with true gratitude and thanksgiving. Well, our prayers remind us that they proceed from his hand. I think it's important that Calvin adds the adjective true to that statement. Uh, In other words, our gratitude and thanksgiving must be genuine. It's easy to say thank you and not really mean it in any deep sense of the word. Oh, I agree. In fact, I think people, even true Christians, do it all the time. For example, when we quote-unquote give thanks for a meal, are we truly thankful to God, or do we think that we have somehow earned the meal, that we deserve it? We need to be aware that even though we went to work and earned the money to buy the food, God gave us the ability. He provided the job for us. He provided the conditions necessary for the food to be available for us to purchase, and so on. There have been lots of people throughout history who were hungry in spite of being willing to work. Yeah, that's a particularly good thing for people living in a rich country like America to remember. It's very easy to take such things for granted. But we should never take any of our blessings for granted. There is a continuous spectrum of how thankful a person can be, and Christians should be at the extreme end of that spectrum. Imagine how thankful you would be if you were drowning and some stranger came and risked his own life to save you. Well, we weren't just drowning in sin, we were dead. And Jesus didn't just risk his life to save us, he gave his life to save us. There should be no limit to our gratitude and it should infuse all of our prayers and in fact, our entire lives. I have to say amen to that. When King David decided he wanted to build a temple for God, God sent the prophet Nathan to tell David that he was not the one to do it, but that his son would. And God also told David that his kingdom would endure forever. David responded with a wonderful prayer of thanksgiving. It begins, as we read in 2 Samuel 7, verse 18, with David praying, 
Who am I, O Sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Again, that's a statement to which I can wholeheartedly agree. And all Christians should be able to agree, independent of our worldly circumstances. If we understand that we deserve hell, then if we experience anything other than hell, it is grace for which we should be thankful. We need to remember that not being thankful is one of the signs Paul gives in Romans to describe those who are suppressing the truth and against whom God's wrath is revealed. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we read that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, unquote. And then in describing these people further, Paul writes in verse 21, quote, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's terrible condemnation, but it does clearly show that not being thankful is a sign of rebellion against God. Yes, it is. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, quote, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness, unquote. It isn't just that we should be a little bit thankful. We should be overflowing with thankfulness. And later on in that same letter in Colossians 4.2, Paul commands us to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, I don't know how many Christians today could accurately describe themselves as being devoted to prayer. I think the answer is very few. But I think we have said enough about the need for us to be thankful in our prayers so I'd like to move on and look at a common acrostic used by many Christians to help them in prayer. That acrostic is ACTS. Which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And it's one way to help yourself learn how to have a more productive prayer life. I would warn against following any formula in a mechanical sort of way, but this acrostic provides a reasonable summary of the necessary elements in prayer. First, there is adoration. Webster's Dictionary says that to adore someone is to worship or honor them as divine or to regard them with loving devotion. All of which apply in this case, of course. This is a part of prayer that I think many Christians omit, or at least cut very short. But it is an important part of prayer. It is part of our fellowship with God to remind ourselves of who God is and what he has done. I again don't want to be formulaic, but I find it useful to sometimes recite the answer to the fourth question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism in my prayers. Which is, of course, that God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Yeah, that's a great answer. And when I go over that, I go slowly and spend a little time meditating on each of those attributes. There are many other ways to approach prayer, of course. Catechisms are a good source of material, but the best source is the Bible itself. And certainly, the Psalms are, in large measure, prayers to God. In fact, Psalm 100 is a famous and short one, which has only five verses, so let me read it. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's a great example. You could take a psalm like that, read it over, and then go back and meditate on and personalize each verse. That would be a great way to adore God as part of your prayer time. And notice that that psalm also includes thanksgiving. So it again emphasizes that we don't want to be too strict with the formula. Adoration and thanksgiving can go together. And that is how we learn to pray. We read the Bible. We read the prayers of great saints. We read the catechisms. Prayer isn't something that comes naturally. It takes work, but it is well worth the effort. And it's pleasing to God. He delights in his people taking time to know him better and to give him the praise and thanksgiving that he deserves and to come to him in confession and with their earthly needs and desires. That's very true. And the next letter in our acrostic, Acts, is the letter C. We must come to God with confession. Confession isn't something that we do once at the beginning of the Christian life. It is a continual part of the Christian life because we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And it's important for us to take time to ask God to forgive us for specific sins, not just some general statement like, please forgive my sins. Now, there's nothing wrong with such a statement, but we also need to take time to confess our sins individually and in detail. Doing so helps us to be more aware of them and to see how odious they really are. And it gives time for God to reveal to us even greater depth to our sin. As we confess it in detail, for example, God might cause us to recall what led up to the sin and bring us to see that we knew what was coming and didn't take the way out that he provided. You are, of course, alluding to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where Paul tells us that, quote, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Yeah, that's the verse I was referring to, of course. Prayer is a time when God can communicate with us by directing our thoughts. He can cause us to remember details. He can bring particular passages of the Bible to mind. He can bring to mind particular sermons or good books that we've read and so on. But for that to be true, our prayers cannot be rushed. We need to take time and be careful. We must want to hear from God. I'm sure that many of our listeners will argue that they're very busy and can't take a lot of time for prayer. I'm sure they will, and I'm sure that there is some truth in that statement. It's more true for some than others, of course, but the bottom line is that if you are a Christian, prayer should be a priority in your life. It is something you must make time for. I remember a story I heard about Martin Luther. I don't know if it's true or not because I can't remember where I read or heard it. But he supposedly said something like, I have a lot to do today, so I have to spend a longer time in prayer. It's very counterintuitive for most people, I think. It is. But if I have a lot of work to do, and especially if it's very difficult work, who knows more about how to do it than God? Yeah, the answer is obviously no one. Precisely. So spending time in prayer is hardly a waste of time. Now, don't get me wrong. What we said a couple of weeks ago is also true. Prayer can be used as a way of avoiding the work you know you should do. So there's a wisdom and balance needed here. 
But I have found at times that praying for guidance on a given problem is used by God to focus my thought on the key points and has on occasion helped me solve a problem much more quickly. Very well, we've now covered the first three letters of Acts, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. What would you like to say about the last one, supplication? Well, first off, I want to define the term. I don't think it's a common word. Supplication means to make a humble entreaty, according to Webster's. In other words, this is where we ask God to do things for us and for others. And I don't think we need to spend much time discussing this item— I would only say that we must be honest with God. Ask for the things you really want Him to do for you. Be bold, but then also go back and look at what we have said in earlier sessions. You must be sincere and humble, for example, and you must sincerely want only what is in the will of God, which is what is best for you and for others. So in a sense, we've already discussed supplication extensively. Very well. Do you have anything else you'd like to say today? Yes, Many people find that having a prayer list is a good idea. I certainly use one. But I would once again warn against being formulaic. If you find yourself just reading your prayers to God, that's not a real conversation. But there's nothing wrong with praying for some of the same things every day. God tells us to be persistent. Jesus told us the parable of the persistent widow for that very purpose. That's right. So, for example, you should pray for the salvation of loved ones often, even every day. That is not needless repetition. That is persistence. And having a list of that sort of thing to help you is fine. But be sure that you are having a real conversation and deal with each day's issues as well. Reading through the Bible systematically is helpful in this regard also. The reading will provide ideas for your prayers. And that's part of having a real conversation with God. I've certainly found that to be true. I think that we're out of time for today, so let me remind our listeners that they can email their questions and comments to info at whatdoesthewordsay.org, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to What Does the Word Say, brought to you by Grace and Glory Media, and I'm Mark Roby. In our next session, Dr. Spencer will continue to examine the doctrine of sanctification. We hope you'll join us. The session you heard today is available, along with all other sessions, in the archive on our website at whatdoesthewordsay.org. We also have a free book available to you entitled Good News for All People, written by Rev. P.G. Matthew, founder and senior minister of Grace Valley Christian Center. To request your free copy of this excellent summary of the biblical message of salvation, go to whatdoesthewordsay.org.